Hi everyone, I'm Nikki Bostwick. Thanks for tuning in to Nikki Bostwick Unfiltered. I'm so excited to have Lindsay Milas here today with us. She has been a certified professional and licensed midwife for 20 years, and she practices what she calls womb to tomb midwifery. And we are so excited to have her on. Um, I've known Lindsay for years, and I'm gonna actually share my story uh, meeting her on this podcast, which Lindsay doesn't even remember. So it'll be fun, and we're gonna Don't ask. refresh my memory. Yes, exactly. So, um, anyways, yeah, thanks for joining us. Yes. I know you have such a busy schedule, and it's so funny. Uh, before, when I was like looking up and getting ready to. Um, find what midwife I wanted or just looking into a home birth with my first which was he was born in 2018 so I got pregnant with him in um, 2017 and I had you like on my radar I found you through Instagram and I was like oh my gosh she's local to me and I'm so excited and I was nervous at the time just like anyone else is with a home birth yeah Yeah. so I like found you I, I found an OB and then I found you and I didn't know anything. I thought, oh, I can have an OB and a midwife, which now I know like any of people say like any practicing midwife that says yes to like that sort of thing is, you know, not necessarily someone you want to work with. That's what I've heard. But I mean, to be either there are certain situations like I work a lot with Dr. Stuart exactly, yeah. and Dr. Victoria Flores, and they are complementing the home birth experience. But for us to have a obstetrician within a hospital-based system and then a midwife that's a home birth midwife like I have a backup that I use but I do not require anybody to have that like continuity back and forth because it's two different paradigms that you're living in one's within that western medical system and then the midwifery model of care is completely different and so you're constantly finding yourself between this push and this tug of like what you want to actually believe in and what the system's telling you and you're like back and forth and it's just not it's a recipe for disaster in my opinion yeah it makes so much sense and so anyways we came and we um, met with you and at the time I already had Dr. Illich yeah and my husband liked him and so you know he wasn't ready for a home birth and we met and then I he would but at the end of the day he was like it's up to you but I came to your office and it was so beautiful and like fun and like you had kids toys and you know you have everything there we for have a mom whole, like Waldorf yes. inspired playroom there yeah. yeah it's very soft it feels like home at our office it does yeah. it was literally just like home and you went to our old office too our new office is even more oh homey oh my gosh yeah, I can't amazing. wait to come yeah and yeah and my sister Actually, she gave birth at Irvine Hogue. Yeah. And I think they recommended your the chiropractor that's yeah. in your office yeah. for her. So, so funny. But anyways, yeah. So we went and you were like, oh, Dr. Illick is good. But like, you know, like this is how I practice, whatever. It's up to you guys. And then I... Did I was like, okay, well, I don't know why, but the five freeway makes me nervous and I would have to take the five freeway to see you. And I never understood why. And I wasn't, at the time I was in the type of therapy, I understood generational trauma, mm-hmm. but it was more of like a traditional psychiatrist that was working with me yeah. and not, do you know Luca Barbara Johnson? Of yeah, course. who She's I started a dear working friend. with. Yeah. And she started working <laughs> with later on, like after I had, um, Uh, right around the time I became pregnant with my daughter. So years later, like three years after I had my son, she started working with me and then she uncovered this whole thing with my mom. She's working with me, my sister and my mom. So we've had a crazy amount of healing from that. And that my mom almost died, like literally right around the exit to go to your office. Of course you had that 
like yes. imprint within your system. And I never spent time in that area, even though I grew up here, I by myself driving. Like my family did and we always drove around and stuff, but I never drove there by myself, which is so weird. And I never put any of this together. And um, until literally a few months ago when I or my mom started doing um, psilocybin journeys and then like figured out all of the stuff. And anyways, what's so crazy is I do want to say this, that I think I was meant to have a hospital birth, even though I wish my experience was so different. But um, I ended up like saying no to everything Mm -hmm. except for the newborn screening Mm -hmm. test which like you can opt out of. Mm-hmm. And I'm like the type that's like, do not come near me. Mm-hmm. And somehow like they did it. And we found <laughs> out my cu- my son has a genetic condition called MCAD, very rare. Yeah. And like he needed to eat every 90 minutes and who like those sorts of things you can still do with a home birth and I did with my daughter. But yeah. I feel like for me, I'm the type of person like maybe that was all meant to be to happen. Well, it was because it happened. I know. And so, so it was crazy. part of your sacred contract, yeah. which is something that's so beautiful. And that's exactly what you needed to have in this lifetime. And especially for the health of your son to not that we don't do those same tests, exactly, but yeah. for whatever reason, yeah. um, that was the lesson that you needed within the hospital, which yeah. is beautiful that you recognize that. But because of my experience with like them giving my me cytotech to induce me multiple times yeah. and then, um, and then getting CPS called on me after he was born oh, because wow. of his condition, that's when I really dove headfirst mm-hmm. into this work too, like just learning more about it and birth and it's so beautiful. And, and I mean, Cassie, Gina, like yeah. diabetic, you know, my yeah, friend who's been- Yeah, type one diabetic. Yeah, she's Two home births with me. Two home births with you and Tammy, like all of my friends have used you. So mm-hmm. it's just been like, we've, you know, had this story but never really been able to sit down and connect and so I'm excited anyways long intro but I want to learn like more about your story and how you ended up finding yourself in this work and because you're just such an advocate for home birth like I would have never I don't know I would have thought about it obviously like oh it's so great but I feel like you make it so accessible for Mm -hmm. people and for women to know I can do this and this is something that's part of me and something that my body knows what to do I mean I went on to have a home birth but yeah I just I'm hearing I just want to hear about like your experience obviously it probably has to do with your birth too it does so I had a hospital birth with my first down here in Laguna Beach and I was super young when I had her I was actually 21 when I had her wow um it wasn't a planned part of my life but it was the most divine intervention that had ever happened and I was already working in the hospital at that point so I was down working at South Coast in Laguna and um I just did what everybody did at that point you know I I found the best doctor that everybody used and basically went through the system and I had certain points throughout that experience where I kind of questioned like well that's weird like shouldn't my body know how to do that Um, but I was young and naive and I took childbirth classes and I in that point was like oh my gosh this is so empowering this is so empowering and I feel like this would be such a you know good way to like experience birth and have a natural birth and then I was given Cytotech as well. No way. Uh-huh, multiple times. And Cytotech, oh for those gosh, that, that don't know, is a, um, a drug that's used. It's used off-label. It's a black-label drug that's used in childbirth, and it's used to induce labor. Um, they commonly use it very often for abortions as well. So they're little tiny pills that are placed next to the cervix. Sometimes you take them orally. 
And um, yeah, I mean, it's there's so many side effects that are never talked about. What are they? Because I don't know I mean, them. The, I, the worst, the worst one is an amniotic embolism, which is basically maternal death. <gasps> and so, and there's tons of documented cases about it. Ina Mae Gaskin is a midwife that's from the Tennessee. She runs, well, not anymore. She doesn't run it, but she started the farm in Tennessee, and she has made a quilt um, for maternal deaths in our country. And I saw this probably 15 years ago, and it wrapped around the uh, would wrap around a football field. And so, so many of those deaths within that quilt were from the use of Cytotec being used off label, and it's still used every single day. It's not like That's like people when you you opt for something else in the hospital, like can we use something else besides Cytotec? They're like, why? Well, it's what's so funny or not funny it's sad is that like I did a lot of research and I no one ever brought up like I read so many books no Mm -hmm. one ever mentioned Cytotech in them it's pretty it was pretty new like it's something that's like newer that we're using and And my doula had no idea about it so she was like I don't know anything about it so it's up to you and I felt like so on the spot and Mm -hmm. I like it was weird that she hadn't you know come across it either yeah my um second cousin Gosh, 2016, I want to say she was went induced for birth, and um, all of a sudden we got a phone call that she had passed away <gasps> in labor, and I was like, find out if she had cytotech, and sure enough, she did, and she passed away from an amniotic embolism. So, I mean, it's something that like it it happens. Like I, you know, someone within my family, it happened to. Um, it is rare. It's, yeah. You know, I don't want everybody like freaking out, like oh my god, but but, but you it need to know the side effect. There is the potential for the risk of that, and so. So if we aren't being given actual risks, then we're not being given proper informed consent, which is one of the most important things that I always talk about. Like we need to have proper informed consent with everything that we do, not just involving birth. Yeah. Everything that we everything. do. Everything. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that's the other thing is like, so I knew about Pitocin and everything else or the other ways to induce someone, but I didn't know about Cytotex. So then like they were like, well, if you don't want Pitocin, there's this other thing and mm-hmm. it's not, you can still have a natural because I was like, I don't want an epidural. Yeah. And I know if I get Pitocin, I'm more likely to have yeah. an epidural. So they're like, oh, well, this other thing. And anyways, I couldn't say the word Cytotec until my son was two and a half years old. I wow. couldn't speak about it. And I did the birth trauma work with Luca. And I was like, Cytotec, Cytotec, Cytotec. Like yeah. I can say, it's so crazy how you know, we just store so much in our bodies and Mm -hmm. we really need to process and yeah. 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 We need to have proper avenues for people to process our traumas because it's something that's such an important thing. I mean, you know, there's a book that I love that's called the body keeps score and it's like our body remembers everything. If we look at how our nervous system works, um, you look at animals after a traumatic event, they sit and shake for 20 minutes. We usually recycle it. And so instead of sitting and shaking for 20 minutes, um, we, we, you know, store it in little places in our body. And it's like those traumas don't go away unless they're addressed. And so one thing that actually does happen after birth is it's very common for a woman to shake right before giving birth and right after. It's part of the hormones. But to me, it's also releasing everything that's just happened within their bodies. And so that's something that I always encourage women. But like, you know, I always place my hand on their chest or like my hand on their feet and be like, you're safe. It's okay. Don't try Mm. to fight it. Just let your body process and move through this. And I don't find it to be ever a traumatic event for them once they feel that they're in a safe place to do so. Yeah. Yeah. What about? like emotional I mean I want to get into a million other things but like for me what I was so stuck on when I was trying to heal that part of like my birth was the emotional message I gave my son when I took 
an abortion pill. Yeah. Even though obviously it's not what I was using it for. But no, I mean, it's just to induce it. Yeah. Your cervix yeah. opening and your uterus contracting. So regardless if it's for that or for actually going into labor. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of imprints around that. You know, like it, it, today in modern culture, if we look, there's a study that was done a few years ago by the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology that says basically that every baby is healthy enough and should be induced by 39 weeks. We should never let a woman go past 39 what? weeks. It's part of the ARRIVE uh, trial that's that was published. And, um, you know, what, what does that say to our bodies? Like our bodies don't have an expiration date on them. And, you know, it's if you look back to what I call great grandma wisdom, um, our grandmas would miss their periods. They would miss their moon time. They would look up at the sky and they would see what the moon was in. And they'd say, oh, I guess in 10 months from now, 10 moon cycles from now, I'll be having a baby. Wow. They weren't counting days. They weren't attached to it. You know, and, and you look at it still today in modern culture, we're not doing that for our animals. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't like go and like, you know, schedule a C-section for a cow because they've gone 10 days later than the average is. It's just yeah. a bell curve. And so, yes, while our due date lies at that bell curve of average of 40 weeks, the same amount of people that give birth at 38 weeks give birth at 42 weeks. And so we just need to remember that our bodies know what to do. And I'm a midwife that people come in and they're like, do you want me eating six dates a day? And do you want me to drink a red raspberry <laughs> leaf? And do you want me to do all these things? And I said, if you like the taste of it, sure. But six dates is a lot of sugar, first of yeah. all. And you need to be combining that with some sort of a fat if you're going to do that. And red raspberry leaf is great. It's a uterine tonic, but it's not going to induce your labor. And there's yeah. not one thing that I can tell you to take for me to say that that's going to make your body work. I inherently already trust that your body's going to do exactly what it's supposed mm-hmm. to do and knows how to work. So all these pills are you actually taking trust away or, you know, not just pills, but dates and yeah. teas and everything are just taking trust away from the inherent fact that our bodies work. And mm-hmm. so there is this, you know, kind of hidden message that we pass on to our children that not only that did we not trust our own body's timing for that, but we didn't trust our baby's timing within that process. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we look at our culture, we're like rushing around every five seconds and nobody has the ability to sit down and just trust and nobody has the ability to re-regulate ourselves with anybody. And I promise you that's, you know, stems from some of this, you know, mm-hmm. you can't have a culture that has such a drastic difference of birth and, you know, expiring and then have this culture where nobody knows how to just chill and have a conversation and look at someone in their eyes and slow our breath down on each other and just sit in space together. It's something that we really have to reteach ourselves to do. I know. And it's so amazing. All these schools, these new like pods are coming up since COVID. There's so many things so that have changed. So many blessings yeah. have come. Yeah. But so many that are crazy. But okay. So le- so you took Cytotech. Yeah. So I then- took Cytotech. Yeah. We got Cytotech there. Um, so I took Cytotech and uh, it didn't work. So I... Yeah. My body was like, hard no, I am a closed flower. You are not peeling the buds off yeah. of this rose. And um, they broke my water and I like literally, literally felt birth. my daughter come up and out of my pelvis at that point. And I, I mean, I felt like a physical shift in my body. And I was like, that that's weird. Like I've never felt her in that position before. And I had Pitocin for 18 hours and didn't dilate past two centimeters and had the epidural. I mean, I had everything, internal monitoring, you name it. And um, 
um, you know, 11 o'clock rolls around at night and my doctor comes in and says, well, we can turn everything off and start this again in the morning, or you can just have a C-section because you're probably going to end up with a C-section anyways. And so I looked at my mom and my mother-in-law who both had C-sections <gasps> and they're like, just do a C-section. Like what's wrong with that? And so I had a C-section and, oh um, I felt everything during that. Like my anesthesia oh my did not work. Like I, I, you know, I was like telling them, they're like, are, do you feel where I'm touching right here? And I could tell them exactly where they were touching. So once she was born, they basically knocked me out to which I hallucinated Wow! <laughs> and, you know, felt like a out of body death experience that was happening where I really had to make a decision to be here on this planet and to be oh the mother to my daughter. And, you know, again, I was 21 at this time. So I really didn't have the adult skills to make decisions to be like, no, like this is, you know, this is, this is what's happening in this moment. And this mm-hmm. is what's happening in this moment. It was like, no, this is life or death. And so I, you know, fought hard. I, I worked at that hospital and I remembered the beeps of the machines because I worked in the emergency room. So I would make a certain machine beep a certain way to know that I was still present in my body. And, um, I came out of that surgery and put my daughter in my arms and basically never let her go for the next two years. And, you know, totally embraced attachment parenting at its finest. She was on my hip at all times. And um, I, I really had this traumatic experience, which led me to always keep saying, like there was this little voice in the back of my head that was like, this isn't how it's supposed to be. This isn't how it's yeah. supposed to be. And so um, I dove headfirst into birth work at, when she turned one. Wow. But I didn't know what that meant at that time. So I was like, I'm going to be a childbirth educator and I'm going to go and teach classes and, you know, teach women to not have the same experience that I had. And I started in a hospital setting. I worked at Irvine Regional Hospital when it was still called that. And I mean, man, oh man, I got in trouble every other week from OBs. They would call me and they would say like, you're teaching them too much. They're coming in with too many questions. This isn't how we practice medicine. We don't want them asking questions. And I didn't stop. I didn't care. They Um, would literally say those words. They would literally say those words. We don't want them asking questions. Yeah, they didn't want them. We were making them not compliant. And so, um, you know, I would stand as my 23 year old self in the auditorium in front of 300 people teaching breastfeeding classes and and telling them to not use pacifiers and formula. And that also rocked the the world of the hospital setting. And so (laughs) I was like, you know, this is fine. And I was doing doula work. I was in the hospital doing doula work and um, experiencing the same stuff that I had experienced with my own birth. And I was like, this is not helping. I'm not helping the situation. I'm actually an accomplice to a crime at this point. Like I'm sitting in a room watching obstetrical violence. These women are having poor outcomes and bad experiences. And I don't feel like I'm making a difference. Like I know that they are grateful that I was there and that definitely helped their experience, but I'm not making the difference that I want to see. So I was like, I'm going to become a lactation consultant. So I drove down to UCSD (laughs) for over a year and a half and I um, became an international board certified lactation consultant, which is just alphabet soup after my name, if you (laughs) ask me. Uh, And I was like, no, this isn't it either because I was still working in a hospital setting and I still would have, you know, these babies that would come into my clinic straight from the nursery or straight from moms having had C-sections. I would look at the board and I would count how many C-sections there were the night before. And I was like, this isn't it either. And so right around that time, um, one of my dear colleagues in mentors was like, I'm starting a midwifery school. I think you should come. Oh my gosh. And so I made the commitment. It was down in San Diego as well. And I drove down there and And how old was your daughter? My daughter at that point was 
four. That's a huge commitment. Huge commitment. And I got pregnant in the middle of it on purpose. You know, I was like, they're getting too far apart in age. And um, so I finished midwifery free school with a newborn. I brought him with me to class. And um, it was the first state accredited midwifery school in California. And it's closed. So it tells you the longevity of midwifery programs. Um, They closed, I think, two years ago. And I dove headfirst. Like there was no looking back, you know, by the time I graduated, like I had multiple people that were on my calendar, like as I was taking the test up at the medical board in California, you know, so it was like, there's no looking back. And I started my midwifery career. And so, you know, I have been like totally heart centered, heart led without all of this with my practice. And I've seen so much shift and change. And, um, it's still, I feel so grateful that I'm able to provide a sacred space for women to feel safe in, but it's, it's wild able to do that like right away you started your own practice outside of the hospital setting immediately wow immediately and like I said I was pregnant I took my newborn to class so flip side is that my son was born in the jacuzzi in our backyard under the stars and I had you know a completely opposite experience of what I had with my daughter and that in itself was you know life-changing but but my daughter's birth was the catalyst for all of it so like you said you you were supposed to give birth in the hospital I was for sure meant to have a c-section and have that happen or I wouldn't be the person that I am today so you know back to sacred contracts I totally believe that all of these things that happen to us are supposed to happen to us and we get to either lead the light from the experience or stay in the darkness and and not process through the trauma yeah and what so okay you had your hospital birth your home birth Mm -hmm. you started your practice when was that what year that was 2012 wow yeah licensed 2012 maybe and i know it was 2010 it was 2010 and are they like trying i heard that they they're making it easier is that true or is it? The, well, the requirements have still stayed the same. So basically what happens is there is a national, There's it's called NARM, which is North America Registry of Midwives. And then there's a, another affiliated organization that's called MEEC, which is the Midwifery Educational Accreditation Council. And they both talk to each other and kind of make these guidelines. And I every state's different. There's actually a lot of states where midwifery is still illegal. Wow. There's states where midwifery is illegal, so there's no licensures laws in place around it and so everybody it's kind of like the wild wild west and people just make it up and then there's states like california and washington which are almost mirror to each other with our licensure and and our restrictions and so they look at those accreditation councils and they say like what is it that they need to fulfill in order to sit for our tests at the medical board okay and so i wouldn't say that it's getting easier i i it's it's pretty much the same but i feel like midwifery school in general is is kind of going down the tubes like That's it's so sad it's, we need it to stay yeah Women, i mean because it's not just the birth Mm-mm. it's so much more than that it's how we learn to take care of our bodies mm-hmm. it like midwives pass down so much more knowledge yeah. than just that part of 
Yeah. Your and life. that's why I say womb to tomb, right? Yeah. So like from the time that we're growing yes. a baby in our room, but like then that baby also, like when they come back in for siblings and they like see what's normal for birth and then they have the experience of experiencing midwifery care for their well woman care. And exactly. Ex- knowing what their fertility is and knowing how they can feel their own breasts and how they can measure their cervical um, fluid for fertility. Like there's so many other pieces to it that just completely get left out. And so what I've noticed within my practice is um, midwives are kind of like the original family physician, you yeah. know, because even if it's like you, you would be, wouldn't even believe the calls I get. Like, <laughs> my dad has this and this and this. And what do you do you think that this is OK? And I'm like, I don't I don't know. I'm not an expert in like podiatry yeah. or something, you know. Um, but the relationship that's established creates such a deep trust that mm-hmm. that's who you look to. That is mm-hmm. your medical connoisseur, if you will. And that's always how it's been. That's the you know, they they were the family physicians and the World Health Organization recognizes this. Um, you know, prior to COVID, the World Health Organization said that the world was short 900,000 midwives. And so they actually recognize that midwives can provide, you know, the adolescent to, you know, menopause care, if you will. Wow. And so they know that if they, we train more midwives and these mi- midwives went into the villages, that there would be so many better outcomes for overall health for mm-hmm. our reproductive, you know, childbearing women. And so um, it's something that it's it's out there. We know we know the data. We know that it improves outcomes. Um, but it's something that, in, especially in the Western society, the you know United States specifically, it's very much still kind of taboo. Yeah. Okay. Do you know the data on? Because in Europe, isn't it like 80 percent still use midwives? Yeah, midwifery care is very well accepted over there. It never shifted. Yeah. So when when Western medicine came to the United States, basically the Rockefeller Foundation said midwives started like totally not who we should be using. We should be using these male trained obstetricians. And if you had money, if you were part of this upcoming class of society, you were using an OB because if you were using a midwife, you were part of the lower class and you, you know, the midwives were dirty and the Rockefellers at that time owned all the newspapers and probably still do. Mm -hmm. And, um, they would go on smear campaigns with midwives. So they would post pictures of, you know, granny, granny midwives from the South, these African American ladies that came from Africa that had all of the knowledge knowledge of midwifery. And they would post pictures of them and basically say like, don't use these dirty midwives. And, and that's when birth got brought into the hospital. I mean, there's a, the the father of grandfather of obstetricians as Joseph Delee, Dr. Joseph Delee. And I mean, he's like quoted so many places saying that, you know, midwives are basically like relics of society, like they're they're like the scum of the earth. And when you have <laughs> figures like that and then you have people that want to be part of this upcoming class and be part of this new technology, then you, you kind of see these, you know, midwifery figures left in the dark and so midwifery didn't necessarily die but there definitely was a A very dark period you know in the early 1900s it was a hundred percent of babies that were born at home you reach 1950 it was like five percent were born at home that's insane in the in terms of civilization that's a blip you know that and that's a really 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 fast period of time for it to switch for it to switch and you know even up recently in like 1979 it was only like 10 percent of women that were in medical school so it was a male driven industry for sure and 
I'm sorry. I, I mean, I, I love some of my male OB friends, but it is not a place for that. They don't get their moon cycles. They don't understand the yeah. hormonal changes that happen every month. You know, they don't know what happens with gestating life and this miracle inside of us and giving birth. And then all of a sudden breastfeeding and the hormonal changes that come with that and the, the dynamics that change within the family unit. Like that's just not that they don't get to experience that. No. And so I think that that really pulled us back away from trusting birth and trusting our bodies and and moved us into a very machine-driven way of looking at the body, if you will. What are the stats now in the United States? Do you know how many people use midwives? Um, so it's pretty low still. So like 10%? No, I, well, if you look at midwives in a clump as a whole, so midwives in the hospital, midwives in birth oh, centers, and okay. midwives with home births, it's probably about 10%. Home oh births are typically only about 2% of the births in the That's United States. Crazy. And it, since 2020, it's jumped up 20%. So that doesn't mean it's 20% of births or home births. It means that within that small little statistic, it's, it's gone, gone up, up because nobody wanted to go to the hospital. Yeah. And so it's, it's, I mean, it's very low still. And so, you know, what happened was 15 years ago, there was a movie that, well, I'm going to back up a little bit more. Before we had this resurgence of midwifery, it was in the 70s with Ina May Gaskin, this yeah. you know, spiritual midwife. All of these hippies left mm -hmm. Berkeley, California and caravaned out to Tennessee to start a commune. And they there was no training and they were all having babies on this caravan wow. out to Tennessee. And so these midwives had nothing more than a book that they learned their uh, you know, training. I don't want to call it obstetrical yeah. training because it's not. It was midwifery training at that point. And they just delivered babies along the way on the side of the road in these caravan buses. So that was the resurgence. And it it was still very low. And then 15 years ago, Ricky Lake and Abby mm -hmm. Epstein created a documentary called The Business of Being Born. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, part of that. Like that was, you know, 15 years ago, I was very much involved in, yeah. in the birth world. And so, and I was involved in it five years prior. So I saw this huge catalyst come up where I call it the tsunami that kind of shifted the paradigm within the birth world because everybody was like buzzing about it. Ricky Lake was still kind of the talk of the town at that time. And mm -hmm. she had published this very, you know, intimate document documentary. And so she blasted it to the public and um it got a lot of feedback it got a lot of press coverage it got a lot of negative feedback as well um but women started waking up and realizing that they had choices mm -hmm. and so um as that kind of catapulted this change there was other documentaries that came up there was a lot more people speaking out against what was happening in terms of the trauma that was being experienced and you know, what we were experiencing in the 2000s compared to what they were experiencing in the 1920s is not even comparable. Oh I mean, in the gosh. 1920s, they were fully knocked out with scopolamine and tied to the beds and had their babies drug out by forceps. So I was wondering how they got the babies out because I think my husband's grandma had... Um, like she was blocked out yeah, during her yeah, yeah they drug them all out by forceps which was the invention of the cord clamp at oh that God. time right if you that's have a mom when... that's passed out that can't hold her baby the doctor's not going to sit and hold the baby so they invented the cord clamp because if they didn't have a clamp they would cut the cord and the blood would go everywhere because it's still pulsating all of the baby's blood yes. that it needs in order to get their blood supply back after birth but nope now we have this little clamp that goes on so that it doesn't bleed anymore so you know you once you you start to kind of dig you're like oh my 
gosh. They like invented all these things. Yeah. And then mortality, I mean, you have the stats for the mortality Yeah, and rates. I'm going to read it because they're new. Yes. So I, I never like to misquote anything with stats. Yeah. So in 1986, the maternal mortality rate in the United States of America was 9.5 per 100,000 births. So that means 9.5 mothers out of 100,000 births would pass away in childbirth, which is horrific. 9.5, that sounds like way too many. Yeah. In, in 1988. That was okay. 1986. Oh, in 86. And okay. 2018, um, it was 17.4. So we went from 9.5 to 17.4. Now I want to point out in Norway in 2018, it was 1.8. Whoa. Okay. So let's go back to the European countries. My sister lives in Sweden. I, I know how that Scandinavian system works. It's all midwife driven. Wow. My sister, second baby was breached. They didn't even blink an eye. She had a vaginal breach birth. Like it, it's just part of their culture that they have there. And there's their data is great you know they're not doing anything wrong so now we're going to jump to 2021 and in 2021 it's 32.9 per 100,000 so we went from 9.5 to 17.4 to 32.9 now I want to talk about the rates in black women because it's three times higher than that. So in 2021, um, it's 69.9 per 100,000 births for black women in our culture, in our country. That is so unacceptable. It's abysmal. It's yeah. so unacceptable. And, and the stats post-2020 have significantly changed, like significantly changed. Um, for everything else? Or you mean for, for birth? Yeah. I mean, like they, it's gone up yeah. so much. I mean, that's such a short period of time from 2018 to go from 17.4 to 32.9 I know that's that's almost a double so what do you think has changed outside of other medical invent interventions so i think that it's it, there's it's multi-faceted yeah. and multi-layered at this point because what happened in 2020 is everything changed like we were at a place where partners were not allowed into yeah. any prenatal appointments not for midwives for most midwives, um, but they were they, these women were entering into yes. the hospital setting situations where they were getting care alone. So there, there was no asking of questions. Then we had this where everybody was masked, so there was no human contact. Right, so we, we our faces were covered, and talk about being intimidated already walking mm-hmm. into a setting without your partner, and then having this person on a you know lab coat with a mask over its face where you're basically not having any human interaction. Yeah. So there's that too. So anytime that you bring fear into a space, we're going to have worse results. We know that oxytocin, the love hormone that creates contractions, that creates our milk to let down, that creates the hormone of, of orgasm, all of these things, it doesn't work if we're living in a place of fear. It just doesn't, yeah. the, the hormonal cocktail doesn't blend if, if we have fear in place. The other thing is, is that there was so much fear within the hospital setting itself. So all the healthcare providers were scared of their patients. And so, you know, there was so many things that were missed in translation. There was so many things like these women weren't even necessarily seeing a care provider for half of their pregnancies. And then they walked in, if they were lucky, they got their partners in birth sometimes not you know what we heard so many I know that Hogue for a week was threatening the possibility of that at the beginning of COVID and I was like get out of here like what is this is this this is the dark ages you know and and then so there all of that happened and then you know there is you you can't as a human being say that 70% of the world population got an experimental injection and not to say like okay well what what part does that have to do with it and I'm not making any sort of claim I'm saying 
saying that there needs to be data that looks at everything. Yeah. We need to look at everything. And we know that the data is starting to surface with so many different variations of what that means. And so, um, we have to take a step back and, and not from a triggered place, not from a place of defending one's political side or the other, not from a place of being triggered and just say like, this is actually what happened. Mm -hmm. This is actually what happened. And so we get to look at, we get to actually take a step back and say like, okay, like something has changed. I can tell you prior to 2020, the things that I've seen post 2020, I mean, it's too many to tell you. Like it's, it's literally like, I would see like one thing a year, maybe with any sort of weird obstetrical complication. And now it's like, every month sometimes every week where I'm and I'm talking like big things I'm talking like I had a a mom that was 12 weeks pregnant last month that had a brain aneurysm I had a mom two months ago that had a complete placenta abruption at 27 weeks pregnant like what happens when that happens I mean those are serious things like thank god that everybody's fine and alive but like they're 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 really serious things the rate of miscarriage that I've seen in my practice this year alone is insane like from april to may there was a period of six weeks where i had 16 miscarriages within my practice i'm talking from like in one month five weeks all the way up to 19 20 weeks of pregnancy and i was like i i became numb i was like i like anytime i would go to like listen for a heart tone or like look to see i i just had to constantly keep telling these parents that their babies had passed and i was i didn't i i was like i didn't even want to go to work i was like i can't tell another parent that their baby has passed away like i can't do that anymore it's not good and so we have to raise red flags and i and i'm talking to other care providers and i'm talking to obstetricians and they're all saying the same thing across yeah, the board it's yeah. across the board at this point everybody's seeing weird things we're seeing hemorrhage rates and my hemorrhage rates are so low but the bleeds that i've seen post covid are it's it's crazy and so now you know the amount of meds that we're carrying more it for postpartum bleeds is there like there's just so much that's changed within our culture in three years. I mean, it's going to be four years and oh in March. Yeah. That, and, and, and I can't say. It's going to be four years. I know. It feels like it was yesterday, well, right? Can, okay. Then can I ask you this? Because in your practice, mm-hmm. I would say someone who's choosing to do a home birth mm-hmm. with you, mm-hmm. like m- they're less likely to have gotten maybe, um, or gotten the COVID vaccine mm-hmm. during their pregnancy mm-hmm. or, or before, right? So, like, so we still have to say that there was also COVID. We can't yeah, just yeah. say just one or the other. Like like the majority of the people on this planet have contracted COVID at some exactly, point. Yeah. So we know that there are these spike proteins that are yeah. floating around in our bodies that our bodies haven't had exposure to in the past. There's great research out there right now. Um, Dr. McCullough is saying that most of these spike proteins are residing in women's ovaries and uteruses. Yeah, so it doesn't matter whether you like got it or I mean to be debated to be debated let's just say across the board that even if the majority of people that are choosing home births haven't had that they they still still have had exposure to COVID now with that being said I also want to say that we know that 70 around 70 percent of the world's population did have the injection and in America there was people that were losing their jobs left and right. So while my clients might not have got it, the majority of their husbands had to in order to and keep their sleeping jobs together and, and they're, all it, that. they're yeah, sleeping oh together. Gosh. So you can't say that 
there's it has to be factored in and that's not from any place other than being purely scientific and saying we have to look at the data and see what has changed in the last three almost four years since covid has happened to our planet okay so lots of miscarriages happening at, at what point is it a miscarriage and at what point does it become a stillborn so Right now in our country, like anything past 23 weeks is usually viable. Like a baby that's born alive at 23 weeks, the NICU, there's has the ability to save these little micro babies. N not saying that they have the best outcomes, but the 23 weeks is usually like, okay, like they're going to give it a attempt at life, 23, 24 weeks. Wow. Um, a death certificate is issued post 20 weeks prior to 20 weeks there's no death certificate issued um and so but i mean in my small little practice prior to 2020 i had zero stillbirths okay now that <gasps> just might have been luck that just might have been luck post 2020 i've had <gasps> six in my practice i'm talking post 20 weeks pregnant um all of my stillbirths have been post 33 weeks six in my practice since how 2020. Did, how did you find out like you went for a checkup or they went into labor? No, and it's usually or... like decreased fetal movement. And then we do a checkup and find that there's not a, a heartbeat. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's it's tragic on so many different levels. The the amount of grief that everybody's experiencing and, and you know, in my tiny little community, it's just, it's crazy to navigate that, like to, to walk people through that and, um, the the county of orange we've we've navigated how we can support women that choose to birth their stillborn babies at home because if they were choosing a home birth for birth for a live baby they still want to have the opportunity to yeah. do that and so that was been an interesting piece of working with dr fishbein and um working with the coroner and seeing what we needed to get in place for that to happen at home and as how well. does that happen like how can you have a natural your body goes into labor and you still give birth to your baby. So you like take Pitocin or something or? No, so like there's, we can use acupuncture and wow. yeah, like there's ways to get the body going. Sometimes women wait a week or so for their bodies to go into labor because the body does know what to do. Yeah. Think back to great grandma wisdom when we didn't even have ultrasound or Dopplers, we would just, oh, the baby isn't moving. And then they would wait. The midwife in the community would probably know of herbs and stuff to give them to facilitate facilitate the process along it's kind of the same um but how has it been for you then I mean just like all of this grief how are you handling it and also just I mean you didn't have any stillborns and then now you yeah. have and it's only six in three years like how did you learn to navigate that yeah as like an added thing to your it's it's, yeah. it's definitely been an added thing to my plate um it's a hard question a hard answer I think that First and foremost, I always say that um, anytime that I'm stepping into any sort of birthing situation, be it with an alive baby or a baby that has passed, it's sacred holy space. Mm -hmm. And so I always say that I allow my body to be a vessel for God's spirits, my guides, whatever you want to say, to move and work through me. Um, this to me isn't a mechanical process where mm -hmm. I'm going in and manipulating somebody's body. This to me is very much a very spiritual, holy, sacred practice. And so 
I, I do have a good support system in place. I do have the ability to have women like Luca and um, other people that can help me move trauma yeah. through myself. Um, but it is a lot. I have to do the work. If I don't do the work, then I won't be here standing because the amount of grief that I've seen doesn't seem like it's a normal amount for any human. Um, but it's, it's, you know, using breath work and using craniosacral and um, doing somatic body work and staying within the community of people that I trust and, you know, making sure that first and foremost, that my home is most taken care yeah. of. Like me being home and cooking my family a warm dinner is medicine to me. Yeah. Um, you know, like me being able to like lay on the couch and cuddle. My kids are big now, but just, mm -hmm. you know, like cuddle them for a little bit. Yeah. That's medicine to me. Mm -hmm. So it's every day is different and every day presents something that I allow myself the ability to move through and heal, but it's across the board for all medical providers. I mean, I just recently talked to one of my doctor friends and we were kind of like, holy shit, can you believe what's happening? And, and, um, you know, like she was on the same, like, there's so many miscarriages. I can't believe what we're seeing. And, um, she's like, I'm leaving my clinic. Like I can't do it anymore. Like I cannot do it anymore. Like I'm going to focus more on using trauma intervention, like to help healthcare workers. But she's like, I can't be in the everyday clinic anymore. And I'm, and I'm kind of starting to feel like that. Yeah. I, you know, 20 years of birth work is, is a, a long lot. time being on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, having the, you know, chance of missing birthdays, Christmas, stuff like that. Um, it's a lot, it's a mm -hmm. lot on the soul. Um, most midwives, it's 50% of midwives that don't make it past the first year in practice. Whoa. And so, you know, to have that longevity is, is really, I mean, um, yeah, it's very rare, but it's something that like, I'm like, okay, like, where's what's next for Lindsay? Like, mm -hmm. where can I transition into a place where I'm still very much having my hand in this world, but not having to have the constant stress of being on call 24 seven. Yeah. So that makes sense. I yeah. mean, you've gotten a long, like you could have done that in a decade Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. it would have been like, yeah. but you have so much knowledge and, and it's, I think what's so great about what you've experienced too, and staying on for as long as you have, you have that difference between pre 2020 and post 2020 and yeah. how now these midwives that you're going to be training, like are going to navigate through mm -hmm. what they're seeing and mm -hmm. resources for them and their yeah. patients. Yeah. Yeah. I'm training my 18th student right now. So over my career, I've trained 18 midwives and, um, my, my students post 2020, like I, I have one that was with me all throughout 2020, like throughout like lockdown and everything. And, um, oh my gosh, like, it, like it's apples and oranges compared to the training of my other midwives. You know, they were like yeah. thrown on the fire, you know, like welcome to midwifery. Yeah. So it's been interesting for that. For How do you sure. think, cause social media, you're so like, you're all over social media in a good way, yeah. like sharing. And I love your videos and it's so important because you know, you just don't see videos like that. You no. don't see what birth looks like. You mm -hmm. don't see that there's families that are part of birth and the, beauty and the relationship and the kids being part of it and the tub like everything yeah. is so incredible and how do you think 
like the positives of social media that have played into your work? I mean, I think the ability that we have to show situations where birth is normal, like most people don't have the opportunity to ever see that. Yeah. And I get, I literally get messages almost every day that's like, I chose to have a home birth because of your account. Yeah. And it's so touching because I get to actually showcase of what is possible out there. And like, I hear women like, oh, I, we sit with my daughter and we watch my son. <sighs> we watch these birth videos all the time. They ask to watch them before we go to bed at night. And I'm like, what a beautiful education yeah like what a beautiful remembering because Mm -hmm. prior to 1900 everybody gave birth at home so this wasn't something that was like so taboo and we have it in our ancestral remembering like we know that we would gather around with our aunties and our sisters and maybe one of them was the town midwife maybe one of them wasn't and we would all collectively be in a space together and we would watch Mm -hmm. whoever it was give birth you know you look at elephants they make circles around the, the mama elephant in in labor and they sway back and forth and move their hips until that baby elephant is born. You know, we are mammals and our primal brain, our primitive brain, we still give birth like mammals. And so for us to have the opportunity to see that is huge. It's so wonderful. And I'm so grateful that I have the platform. I don't know how it happened, but like right at the invention of Instagram, I started posting birth videos. And one of the Someone on the board at Instagram sent me a message and said, I see that your page is purely educational and I'm going to take the flag off for nudity. (gasps) And since then, I mean, there might be like warnings that there's nudity in it, but I've never had stuff pulled from my page. That's incredible. I don't know how it happened, but it did. So So, yeah, you get to really go in and post whatever you want. That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh my gosh. It's so meant to be too. I know. So who do you recommend? Do you ever recommend? I mean, there's obviously high risk pregnancies that if you know they feel comfortable you know you work with Dr. Stu and Mm -hmm. stuff but like who who shouldn't have a home birth well, first and foremost, someone that has fear around it. Yeah. So there's fear around home birth in the terms of like, you're not going to do any research and you're going to stay in a place of fear. Clearly, it's not for someone yeah. to have a home birth. But if there's fear around home birth that can be worked through and just simple questions answered like, oh, no, like if you're scared of postpartum hemorrhage, know that we have the same anti-hemorrhagic medication that the hospital carries. We have IV access. If we ever needed to go in because none of those things worked, then we would be have the opportunity to go in. But usually they're just really simple answers to a question that then resolve the fear. Mm -hmm. But there is the higher risk situations where like, you know, a mom that has like really bad heart disease or has a history of strokes or, you know, there's definitely things that would like automatically risk a mom out of home birth. But with that being said, like our type one diabetics, they're supposed to be risked out of home birth too, which is why we bring in the collaborative care of an OBGYN Mm -hmm. that we are able to move through their pregnancies. So Gina's had two babies with me, our friend, our mutual friend. And then I've had um, another mom that had her fourth baby with me with type one diabetes. And honestly, my type one diabetic moms are the masters of their blood sugars. They know more and better than any person out there about their blood sugars. And so, you know, when we have the ability to work with them, with, with the OBs that come on and create that care that they can provide, it's amazing. Um, 
twins and breaches got written out of our licensure in 2014. So you cannot. But but then we bring in our our beloved OBs that will come in and help us with those. So we just had a set of twins that were born, I think it was December 6th. Well, I should say December 5th and 6th. So we had one baby that was born at 11.11 p.m. and came out in a hurry in a dark bathroom in the, (laughs) you know, mom didn't even really know that she was pushing the <laughs> curtains were drawn everybody was in the kitchen talking that baby came out wow and then almost 11 hours later <gasps> baby b was breech and was just like not having no mom had no contraction she slept all night she nourished herself with bone broth she had breakfast in the morning and all of a sudden we're like okay let's have baby b you know we're getting to a place where there's a risk of infection there's still baby a's and bill cord that's attached to baby b's placenta they had their own placentas but they were fused together Mm -hmm. and so we had a breech baby almost 11 hours later and that was with dr flores it's insane but it's so normal You know, and to see like in a hospital setting that just would have been an automatic C-section. And so it's like, that doesn't have to always be the case. I'm not anti-medicine. I'm not anti-hospital. I'm so grateful that those systems are in place, but there is definitely the opportunity that we can give these women to know that they have choices and they can make full autonomous decisions about their own bodies and their, their babies to do what's right for them and their families. Um, and when we have the opportunity to provide that, it's one of the most empowering I mean, things that a woman can ever have. It's so beautiful because other outside of, you know, what you're sharing, like how would a woman know that she has that choice? Yeah, I know. You have they to, do, you have to dig for it. You have to dig for it. And like where, because it's like, you know, you go to the hospital because the, the it's not in the licensure, right? Mm-hmm. So you're only going to the hospital. So you have to like, where do you look at what's possible? Yeah. I mean, to think that you can wait 11 hours. Yeah. yeah. That's beautiful. I know. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, social media obviously has, I mean, that's it's, how I found you. That's what inspired me. I think, you know, I, I was into wellness and like, I loved the idea of it, but the, like you said, no one sees home births mm-hmm. I mean, you see like maybe one I think I missed that day at school when yeah. they like showed yeah and I don't think it was a home birth it was just a hospital birth no and it's usually yeah. some like PE male teacher yes. that's like this is how you have babies yes. boys and girls you know like it's not it's not actually something that's talked about in any depth no. where it would make a profound impact on any teenager yeah so just seeing people having birth you know a baby at home it's yeah. like mind-blowing and it's so normal it's so amazing so one of the things i'm trying to do is i would like to record to get into uh, high school health classes yeah just like 15 minutes of talking about the variation of what is possible and then maybe a little birth video yeah but the other thing i've had the opportunity to do this last year is um orange county fire authority so basically all of the firefighters within our county had to do a required training and they asked me to come in and i did an (gasps) hour-long training that's recorded and they'll watch it every single year and it talks about what home birth is and what supplies we bring in and why we're calling them and what, you know, when they do come into the setting, like what they can do to help us. And, um, it's made a huge difference. Wow. I, the feedback I've gotten from that has been absolutely amazing. So now I'm like, okay, I need to, to brand that. And then yes. I need to bring that out into every fire department throughout the whole entire country, even though every state's going to have a little bit of a variation with our laws, but, still, uh, but just to have any sort of education around it would be huge. How lucky are they that they get it from you? I know I was and really grateful. That are the you know receivers of that yeah because 
having someone like you who can tell them like this is normal this yeah. is this is fine let her that's so great okay so i know this woman i'll have to connect you yes who um works with different she does a lot of documentaries awesome. and she works with a lot of schools like specifically creates documentaries for schools oh my to gosh see. i know it's like the perfect situation yeah. yeah she owns indie flicks her name's sheila she's like my um, husband's like aunt, like family friend. I love like, that. Yeah, so I'll connect you Amazing. with her. She's great. She's done so many awesome videos, but I'm excited for you and your training. I feel like in a different world, I would have wanted to be a midwife because yeah. it just sounds. You probably were. Yeah, in a different world, you know, like yeah, I feel like at some point our lineage, there's somewhere back yeah. in our lineage where someone in our family has been a midwife because yeah. that's just part of what it was a it was a common job you know like we 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 knew the herbs in our community we knew the the herbs that grew at certain times on the mountains and we would go and harvest and we would come back and we would make medicines and we knew certain things that would ail a cough and that would ail a you know broken toe and and you know without the title we were all midwives yeah. at one point so it's you know it's something that's definitely within our remembering of mm -hmm. of our ancestral wisdom of our ancestral bones that we that we all have yeah, yeah. so maybe that's where my yeah. interest comes from it's so beautiful but i'm excited for you in this new chapter thank and you if anyone's interested in a training yeah. what, like tell us more about yeah. how they can so connect with you i'm starting to do birth worker trainings um the best way to find me is uh, www.theremembering.co um i just did an in-person one here in um orange county last month it was amazing oh my gosh it sold out like in an hour i had no idea how much interest there was in wow. it and i'm starting to do um international retreats so i did one last Last year in Mexico, I have two coming up in 2024. We're doing Costa Rica in July, and it's not just for birth workers. So the first one we did was for birth workers, and my retreat organizer was like, Lindsay, you need to open this up to every woman. Yeah. Like this is not just birth work. Like the ability that you have to get women deep into vulnerable places and to open their hearts is insane. And she was like, you need to open this up to all women. So I'm doing that, and it's going to oh be. Gosh kind of like a, a back into the womb of yourself theme. Um, and so that's going to be really exciting this year. And then I really hope to just be online with trainings and that's yeah. all going to be through the website that I just mentioned. So with your retreat, like women find out, like, is it more like educational too? Like it's spiritual and like mm -hmm. kind of reconnecting and yeah. more intuitive, but also like learning about yourself. Learning about yourself, yeah. learning about, I call it the generational garden. Like what was your birth like? You know, what was your mom, what was your own birth like? What was your mom's birth like? You were actually in the womb of your grandmother at one yeah. point because your mother's eggs that were already developed in her ovaries were part of you. So, you know, you, we trace back this generational garden. Like what's your, what's your primal image? imprint for for life um what does it mean to trust your intuition mm -hmm. most people have had that completely taken out of them so we go through different exercises with intuition um how to move through space in your nervous system how to make sure that you regulate your nervous system how to regulate your baby's nervous system you know there's there's just so many things that we've lost and so i'm really trying to bring it back in My which gosh. is why i called it the remembering these are all I tools that, that we've had for all of time but now we get to bring it back to the the core belief of of knowing within our system that's beautiful yeah. i'm so excited and then you said online 
people yeah. can online the remembering.co and then instagram is but i mean online place. courses oh yeah. yeah 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 no i'll be teaching online okay. courses for sure like i'll do one on intuition like i already have them all done i just need to sit down and record really them. Yeah. oh my gosh that's gonna be so exciting yeah i'm excited i can't wait i'm to really tune excited in. yeah thank you so much you're for so welcome on. i feel like we could have talked for like know, five more hours <laughs> i know we all have to have you back yeah. on we'll talk about all the other things i love and, like, it get into it Awesome. Yay. Thank you. Thank you.